0: Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akhil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the top challenges that cost SaaS startups 100K plus a year and how to avoid them with marketing innovation. Today, we have our guest, Oren Greenberg, joining us. Oren is the founder of Curve, which is a modular growth marketing consultancy with his experience of helping large corporations And venture-funded startups to navigate the perilous waters of growth and marketing. His impressive track record of results include managing over 10 million pounds of marketing budgets, juggling a paid search campaign with over 13 million keywords, increasing organic traffic from over 2 million uh, page views a month to over 3 million a month for a single client, and scaling paid search campaign by over 139% to over 12,000 B2B clients. Orin's highly regarded digital strategy and commercial expertise have been instrumental in the growth of clients and brands, including investment Bank, Pecan, Nutmeg, Funding Circle, and has been featured in the Telegraph, Social Media Examiner, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and HubSpot's blog. So welcome, Oren. Glad to have you on the SaaS district today. Real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So one thing you guys mentioned on your website and what you guys really focus on is provide a CMO on demand for startups and scale-ups. And in this case, I want to know specifically for SaaS companies, because I know you have a lot of expertise there. Um, can you share what is the role you play with the existing founders and how you communicate effectively and convince the board uh, to make kind of hard turns on their marketing strategy, invest in you without having skin in the game of the business yourself as, as a co-founder? Yeah, got it.
1: Um, I think the simplest way to answer that question is, I generally work to a value-based pricing. So I align my remuneration with the results that we're trying to drive. And I think the problem is there's two main um, points of contention when I speak to founders. The first is I've worked with a large agency and they haven't delivered. Or I've got an agency that delivered, but I'm not getting the results that I require or the quality of the delivery is not there. Mm-hmm. So nowadays, I, I try and really understand what is the objective. And a lot of the work that I do is really framing the problem because a lot of times when I'm speaking to founders or other senior execs, they jump into the tactical, mm-hmm. and obviously the tactical is where the results are going to come from. Yeah. But if your strategy is wrong, if you're like you know, it doesn't matter how fast you're going, if you're going at like breakneck speed, but you're going in the wrong direction, you're just going further away from you know the, the destination that you had in mind. And um, now with founders specifically, the on-demand CMO is you know. The, I've been doing marketing for 17 years now. And marketing is very um, fragmented and it's very specialized. Now, a lot of the founders that I work with, they come from a management consulting background or a finance background or product tech background. And marketing is a enigmatic area for them where they understand they want growth because they want lead gen and they want new customers and they want to align the product. They want to build a, a world-class brand and they want to have an amazing team. But they that you know they're learning so many different areas of how to run the business and simultaneously. Marketing is very complex and very large area. So I come in and I I ass- essentially assist all the way from the strategic conceptual level, board level, all the way down to like, you know, what is the best bidding type of LinkedIn or Google Ads and you know, what channel should we deploy and who, how should we think and work with that resource to get that result. So It's quite a holistic approach. I think the best analogy is like a car. And then, you know, if you built every part of a car, but you missed out the engine, the sum of everything else, you've got the doors, the steering wheel, the chair, like the value of the vehicle is actually, it's, not, it's incomplete and it doesn't get you from A to B. And I see a lot of businesses in their marketing specifically, but they miss all these foundational components when building the vehicle for successful marketing. And what I do is that, you know, now with a car, it's easy because everyone goes, oh, how can you not drive a car? It's pretty obvious when it's missing a steering wheel. Right. But in, imagine when you were first developing a car for the first time, and when they were first building a car, they didn't know. They didn't have a blueprint for building the car. And a lot of businesses—that's what they're doing. They're doing something new that's never been done before for the first time. So it's very hard to see. The thing is, after working with so many different businesses, I'm not in, I mean, There's a lot of areas I don't specialize in, but marketing is one that I've just gone very deep in for a very long time. So I, I have a better sense of what's going to perform, what's going to work for a business, based on you know where 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 I see those challenges with their specific
0: vehicle when it comes to marketing. Mm. Got it. So I I'm imagine they they probably worked with agencies in the past, and they say, "Hey, we want to you know help us with our B two B LinkedIn or do our SEO." But you know, you're saying, "Hold on, maybe that's not even the right approach. Let's look at let's step back a minute, and I'll actually help you and advise you. Look at your whole business kind of holistically, and then we decide where to move." Whereas they you know, maybe they they don't have that that knowledge and experience to to go speak to an agency, right?
1: Yeah, I think there's two aspects to it. I think, you know, some of it is the wrong channels. They're operating on the wrong channels. Mm-hmm. And the second is they're operating in the wrong way on those channels. Mm-hmm. And um, I tend to see more of the latter than the former because there's a relatively you know, there's only 28 channels to pick from, really, that are meaningful. And in SaaS, there's only like six or seven core strategies. So I, I think the main issue is really like execution is poor. But the problem is it's not integrated. And I see a lot of problems uh, primarily with uh, the marketing tech stack. And how that's been integrated, or mostly not integrated. Um, too many tools, and the, the team don't know how to use them effectively. Um, spending the, the the money in the wrong places, they're allocating the budget incorrectly. So and then they're frustrated; they're not getting the right return. And I think there's like a lot of educational components with founders that there's foundations of marketing they don't really understand. Um, mm-hmm. Like a typical example is, okay, Oren, we need to go do Instagram. Like okay. Um, Good morning, good morning, happy Monday. Why do we need to go to Instagram? Because someone, one of my investors said that they got a client because um, you know they reached out to them for Instagram. And I go, you know, there was a study done by HBR and they, um, Harvard Business Review, and they reviewed 200 businesses. And there was only one variable that they found was consistent across all the businesses that were successful. The one variable was they had a clear strategy. Mm where does Instagram fit into the strategy we just defined last week? It doesn't, you're not going to do it. Um, And that's a very common issue. It's like the need to be everywhere, the need to build a brand by having exposure to as many people as possible. And B2B is not like B2C, and SaaS in B2B is not like B2B. So the way that you approach your real marketing strategy can't be through the same lens as you as a consumer, you as a user. And I think too many businesses, especially earlier stage, they're doing too much and focus is king. So a lot of the time I just bring laser focus into what's most critical, but also foundations. You know, in the Japanese they have a, a saying called Ketsu Ketsu, which is step by step, you know, gradually. Mm-hmm. And if you think of building a successful business like climbing a mountain, you don't get up to the mountain by making a jump of a thousand feet. You mm-hmm. do it step by step. Yeah. And the thing with and the thing the same thing is with your the strategy, the marketing, uh, the marketing strategy. I think the only real value that I deliver to the founders is I help save a lot of time when taking the wrong path to get to the top of the mountain. And obviously, mm-hmm. they want to increase efficiency and they want to get there faster and more cost-effectively and they want to not fall um, off the edge of the cliff by mistake. So <laughs> all I do is I kind of like help them do that, but only in the realm of
0: marketing. Got it. So you're looking at more of like a, they come in with shotgun approach, let's be everywhere. You're saying, let's focus on one at a time and see what works. Um, nice. Specifically for B2B SaaS companies, what would you say is your... Preferred framework or favorite channel that you like to start with, or that you normally set up for, say, generate generating qualified leads and start increasing sales. Yeah, got it. So I think there's always um,
1: two types of SaaS businesses, broadly speaking. The first is kind of low volume, high value enterprise sales, and the the second is, um, you know, low value, high volume. Mm-hmm. And they're different. They're different in how you pro- everything is different from the marketing tech stack to the resource deployment to the channel selection. So there's no broad answer, It depends on the, the two. But within the two, mm-hmm. there is something that is consistent, which is uh, are people, are prospects, our customers of the SaaS business, do they have intent? Are they aware of the problem and are they aware of the solution? Mm-hmm. And it makes most sense to tap into people who have intent and people who are the closest match to the relevant audience, rather than trying to do an awareness long term content marketing strategy, which everyone's reading about because it's popularized by businesses like HubSpot. And then like we should be producing a lot of content. The biggest problem is a lot of businesses produce content, but don't distribute it. So they're just producing a lot of blog posts, but no one's reading it. So obviously mm-hmm. they're not getting leads. And then lots of the quality of the content they're producing is um, low quality because they have a junior writing it because it's a cost-effective resource. And then they're, not, they're you know, it's not interesting to prosper because that doesn't deliver any value. So the whole problem here around volume, focusing on the wrong channels, and leveraging um, non-specialized resources in order to try and get results, Um, So yeah, my uh, yeah favorite ones effectively is intent based. So even if it's um, account based marketing, but with intent, Mm -hmm. or it's going to be Google Ads because obviously Google, you know, fifty percent of digital marketing um, of the media spend in the UK goes to Google. So if there's intent, that's a high value, and definitely the first lowest hanging fruit. And then LinkedIn is obviously one of the key channels for for B two B. But once again, it depends on the value. If the ECV annual contract value is less than ten k, I don't -hmm. recommend LinkedIn. It needs to be a certain size. prospect and business and the sales cycle and it depends on what the the solution is. But yeah, that's just like off the top of my head, just a couple of examples of how I think about it for such businesses. Obviously there's called outbound. I think cold outbound is um needs to be done very well in order to get a result because conversion rates are very low.
0: That's right. Now that 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 piece you talked about of you know creating content and the other battles actually promoting it. So you can maybe have high quality content um, how much of your time would you say was, this is it like a 50, 50, you know, you should be investing half your time on creating half the other half on promoting or what's your kind of number you like to use.
1: So average would be 85% content production, 15% distribution. Um, good would probably be 50, 50 mm-hmm. and genius would be 15% production, 85% distribution.
0: Um, So kind of diving into the CMO role a little bit more uh, with the team that you're working with, are you normally working with the existing marketing team there that they already have? or Are you involved in, say, hiring, managing the marketing team for, for these startups that you're working with? Yeah, so I've done both. So
1: effectively, I either I've screened and vetted about 130 candidates for businesses to build growth teams in the last couple of years. So I'm heavily involved with helping build that internal team and that competence if that's what's needed. Um, Some businesses they require specialists, so there's always almost going to be some sort of agency or freelancer that's involved with deployment. Mm -hmm. So generally. you know, I'll bring in different specialists I've worked with over the years for different areas. Um, for example, Facebook ads are very strong, and Google ads are more performance-based channels. And then, yeah, I guess there's like, um, for some one of the businesses I was doing work for Canon, I headed up a, about a team of eight people and they were all part-time fractional experts they were all different freelancers and agencies and I was managing what the media spend level for them there was a SaaS business and that was a very innovative approach you know a business that is invested in a you know a, an entire outsource marketing arm and the founders of the CEOs of the business, the original founders that were bought out through M&A, they were like product specialists. So they did not really know much about marketing. And then we worked really well, you know, and they had a the whole tech team and the product. And then they had marketing as a core support function. I think the, the question of whether or not you need to um, you know, outsource marketing or have it in, in the house really comes down to your how core is it to your USP, how core is it to your business and, and your differentiation. And um, what I do see very often is that juniors are managing marketing of people in 30, 40K salaries, very young, very smart, very ambitious, and very industrious. But the problem is they're very inexperienced and they make a lot of mistakes. And the founders just don't really understand the value of a more experienced hand. It's like, it's not that because they've had poor experiences or because I think it down, it's down to the um, the remuneration model where it's like time-based or cost-based rather than actually um, aligned with the objectives. So I think there's like a few core issues there. Um, that I see. But I usually, uh, sometimes I, I'm parachuted in to resolve specific projects. So mm-hmm. it's like a specific initiative and they don't have enough resource. And then I'll just own that project and deliver on it. So it's very varied as to the different types of missions that I undertake as like a, a marketing CMO ninja.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I, I can see if you're, if you are hiring a junior, if you're willing to kind of invest the time in training them and working through them and, and reviewing their work, which I think a lot of these people just don't have the time or, or experience on how to review it. Um, it makes sense to hire more experienced people. Um, well, it's not,
1: it's, it's not, only about that. It's also, um, there's two elements. One of them is speed. You know, if you want to be moving quickly and scaling quickly with your junior talent, then you're going to be constricted by how fast you can move because it takes time to nurture. And then the second is it takes time to nurture. So, I mean, if I've been doing it for 17 years and this person has two years experience, how far are they from their two years experience on my 17, that's 15 years. Do you have 15 years to wait until they reach a CMO level? And even if they do, at that, le- at that point in their career, when they're like 17 years of experience in, what ing- what salary would they command? You know, They would have to reflect. So the reason I came up with the on-demand CMO model is I saw businesses require some of my seniority, but they can't afford to pay for full time. So in my head, you know, coming in and doing a fractional work and giving them strategic time and support helps really save them a lot of money in the long term. And so far, that's proven correct in my hypothesis.
0: Mm. And I imagine you need to decide on those employee or freelancer expenses with a startup upfront because if you're gonna say, hey, I need a Facebook ads manager, a content manager, I um, mean, all these experienced people, they're gonna get they be expensive, right? Um, where depends, are you yeah, it depends just, how you structure
1: the model with them. Yes,
0: do you do kind of you know partial based like a, you know? It depends wow.
1: on the on the resource, right? So there's a depending mm. on flexibility, but yeah, some contractors are really like the business and they see a long term relationship. Others on mm. a fixed rate, but I think the answer is you know. What is it? You know, what is your objective, and is it working? But if it's not performing, then yes, it's expensive. But if it is performing, then how else are you going to achieve the growth? You have to invest to achieve the growth, right? And um, you know, everyone talks about being unique and different, but that fundamentally, you need to get your as many as much exposure to your audience, your relevant audience, as possible. And all marketing agencies, freelancers, and CMOs, that's effectively their goal is, you know, what is the most creative message that's most relevant for your audience at the right time, and that's the foundations of marketing
0: and uh where where is the where are you hiring these members from the team the marketing experts do you have a specific channel you like to look at and what is your process for hiring or building that entire marketing department uh, other than like you know experience what are you looking at yeah great
1: um i'd say the majority comes from uh, referral actually so i'm i'm, I'm I'm active in about 16 marketing groups. So I have a lot of them access to a lot of different marketing communities. And I'm very active with speaking events, podcasts, and I have a very buoyant network here in London, having been uh, doing it for so long. So a lot of it is, you know, and I'm I'm quite ruthless, so I'll try someone out and if they don't deliver, I cut them. But I double down on the ones who are working and I see potential in them. And... Um, yeah, so it's it's mostly like just trying them out, but I've have created my own framework for testing and validating different channels and different experts, and I've worked with senior proven experts who helped me create the framework to test more effective, and uh, you know, people who are earlier on in their career and the more affordable. So there's like a an, an interesting mix of talent that I work with from senior level all the way to junior level, depending on the the state of. Um, of what needs to get down, what the problem is. Yeah, and then, w- w- so with them, I vet them, and then we double down on, on um, working on the ones, uh, working with the ones who actually perform well over time for the different clients. Um, yeah, it's, it's not too complicated. You know, I think my model, the way it's different from the majority of agencies, I used to run a traditional agency where I had a lot of uh, a team of 22, and we would, um, you know, there's lots of juniors, and, you know, the markup was great, but they just didn't, have the experience or expertise, and I remember at one point one of them said, "I don't know what's the difference between HTTP and HTTPS." And I just, what, what am I even doing? Like, why am why I? Why do I have? Things? Yeah, why do mm-hmm. I have these people here? And then I realized, um, actually, I'd rather pay more money and a premium that takes up a lot less time and energy from me for someone who already is very competent. And I, it, it's like a mental shift. So now I have less time of people, a lot more experience rather than a lot of time with people who require so much handholding. Now, I do believe there's, you know, business does need to have layers of seniority to grow and scale. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're delivering a high quality, high end service that's very strategic and really is going to have a, 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 a big shift, a big impact in the business, I don't see how juniors partake. And I think that's where my model is more of a consultancy than a
0: typical agency. And I imagine you can you can also charge more for for the the experience as well, right? Because um, even if you're if you're hiring more experienced people, then your rate obviously goes up. If you're working with clients as well, because you're going to deliver. Are you are you measuring? Yeah, it's not, uh, it's re-
1: not it's not about the rate. It's not about our rate. Um, it's about the value we unlock. So sure. effectively, if we can unlock more value, we don't have to justify our costs because we're not a cost. We're an investment. Like when you invest money, you don't think how much is it costing me to invest the money. You're thinking what are the gains I'm going to I'm going to receive. Of so with their more experienced hands, I believe that I'm, I'm going to mitigate risk and deliver better performance. And so far, it's proven correct. And because it takes lo- less manhandling, effectively, they just make less mistakes. And so they have more experience, and make less mistakes, and those mistakes can be very costly. Like, you know, I had the, a, a, one of the businesses I support, they have a junior. And the other day, they brought like 5K on Twitter, because she went on holiday and she didn't check conversion tracking. It's like none of, my, none of the experts I work with would leave and go on holiday without checking that the tracking is working. But the juniors didn't know. And, you know, I mean, I have to accommodate the the different people that are in the organization. But sometimes I talk to founders. I'm like, look, the resource you've provided, it's it's going to be hard for me to deliver a result with this. And then it's a hard conversation. And then, um, you know, I, I really believe in nurturing talent in the business. And mm-hmm. sometimes I take on this the mentor mantle on behalf of my client. But it is very challenging and sometimes to really drive results and support and carry the people who don't have the experience on my back.
0: And then when you're saying you're measuring results and then you know cutting people as quickly as possible, what is there one or two metrics you've got? Is it just results of performance of the campaign uh, or is it just execution and how fast you're executing and making sure the quality is there?
1: It's, uh, I think it's both about results and quality, but effectively it's like the number of mistakes and the type of mistakes. For example, someone the other day, one of the juniors, they sent me a graph and then um, when you added up the percentage of the graph, it came to 110%. It should have been 100%. And the graph had top 20 and he chopped it down to top four. And I'm like, how is this still the same percentage? And I was like, you, you did it without thinking. And that's an unacceptable type of mistake. So there's a mistake, which is, um, I don't have the experience. I made a mistake because I didn't know. And there's a mistake, which was, I didn't put the effort and the energy into thinking how to solve this problem well. And therefore I did a, a crap job at it. Mm. And I've delivered, uh, you know, I shouldn't have delivered that piece of work if I wasn't if it wasn't ready. And I should have communicated that. And um, that's like you know. I mean, obviously, I warn people and I nurture and and work with them as best as I can. Some people they just you know they're not passionate about it, or they're not engaged, or you know they it's too hard. Like the learning curve is too steep. It's they're not they're not. Or their or their talents lie elsewhere. I think in terms of personality or interests. And then um, so I've worked with people like that as well. And uh, actually, I think it's better for them to let them go sooner so they can go and find their their path in life that is right for them, rather than trying like, to fit the wrong shape into the wrong jigsaw. You know, it just doesn't work.
0: Fair enough. Um, talking about the marketing channel strategy, with so many channels you know, to focus your budget and your time on, how do you decide on which channels, specifically B2B SaaS company, should be focused on? And then how are you testing and validating those channels for their market do they do these businesses already have product market fit and you're just going off of you know what the competitors are doing and seeing what's working or do you have kind of a a way that that works for you
1: yeah so generally we work with the companies that have product market fit on the rare occasion that i think that there's a strong usp then i'll take on a client that doesn't have pmf mm-hmm. and then uh, channel validation is an interesting one i think the easiest way to answer that question is It goes down to to kind of qualifying intent. So finding the intent-based channels first and then broadening to try and understand where the audience lives. Then we deploy the experiments, mostly through paid ads initially, but also we can do outreach. And then we work effectively. We we look at the funnel and what the conversion rates looks like all the way from cost per click down to deal one. And then we look through lead, marketing-qualified lead, sales-accepted lead, sales-qualified lead. So we know the value of each. We run the experiment and we see how often is a calibration, based on what the CAC LTB ratio needs to be. So effectively, if we know that we're on a channel where we're deploying a test, and we're like 50x off what an acceptable CAC is, then we're not going to optimize that channel to achieve a realistic CAC. Like, we just scrap that. But if it's like two or three X, and we believe, the channel X world believes we can continue to optimize and get big results and big improvements because we haven't done some of the foundations, we'll double down on the channel. So really, the key is to diversify multiple channels initially, ideally as many as possible, so then you can double down on what works and call what doesn't work. And there are some um, exceptions. You know, we did have a client where they were doing Google Ads for a long time, and they were actually—it so was a B2C business, not a SaaS business—and they were selling luxury baby clothes. And then they changed it to focus on affluent areas, and they cracked Google Ads as a result. Mm. And the reason was obviously because it was luxury baby clothes. The Google Ads were running same keywords, just a different geography targeting, and that was very successful. So the key here to really think about it is—you know—what's what, how long do I need to run the campaign the, on the channel for in order to get a result versus how, like, if I persisted with it, would I get a result through persisting? And that's where I think it's more art and science and more experience-based. But, you know, there are benchmarks that we work to. We have a lot of experience with the space so we can kind of see what's working or not. But, you know, a lot of the time, there's a lot of issues where the audience is unclear defined, the TAM isn't clearly defined, the total address is on market, the, um, the product features, they're not really differentiated in the market space. Um, you know, the, the messaging isn't clear on what the, the value of the proposition is to the audience. There's usually a lot of foundations that are in place. You know, it's there's, there's arbitrary, like, you know, they're doing multiple channels. It's not really um, measured. There's no um, um, data layer in place. You know, they're not using Google Timer or Google Analytics or Segment. And it's, it's quite, so they know they need to do it. They just haven't done it because it's very specialized. And, you know, the other day I came across a SaaS business and they were using um, Intercom. Mm-hmm. And they wanted Intercom to do what Autopilot does. So they wanted to send personalized email sequences based on in-product behavior. Mm-hmm. And they spent two and a half months trying to get that Intercom to do it. And I said, it doesn't make sense. It's like, you're trying to get a bicycle to do what a car does. Why <laughs> didn't you just go get a car instead? So they went to Autopilot. They're like, wow, this is incredible. So, you know, sometimes it's just like, you know, a lot of the work I do is on the Martech because the Martech is usually where things go wrong with SaaS businesses.
0: Makes sense. And then I know you you had a story. Can you share the story of one of your clients where you came in, you helped with their marketing channel and customer journey. It took them, I think, was from they were they're having basically zero leads and then now they're I think they're generating five hundred leads per day.
1: Yes. yes. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was I think actually funny enough, it was around the intent based um, channels. So we're doing one channel which was Facebook ads, mm-hmm. and they were targeting The the offering, there were two key components. One of them was I re-engineered the customer journey. So in their head, their product and their offering was in the top of the funnel and the, the initial stage of what the customer was buying. And in my mind, it wasn't. It was after that initial experience. It was in the second touch point. So that's where we had the philosophical gap where they thought, okay, you no, know, people can use that product whenever, however. I'm like, no, no, they, they really experience the most benefit when it's on that second stage. So that was the first shift. And I needed to research and understand the whole customer journey to, 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 re- to get that realization. And then the second was I just shifted it to Google Ads, but then the whole funnel changed. So instead of a Facebook ad to a mobile app, which was the initial touch point for this business, eventually turned it to a landing page with a form fill and then a chatbot. And that actually, that that cracked it. So it went from zero leads a day to 500 leads a day by shifting the whole funnel and understanding how to remap the the proposition to the right pain point for that audience. Um, But yeah, understanding the audience in more detail was really the key for it. And I think that's really the key for any foundational success in marketing. The better you understand the audience, the more likely all of the other um, initiatives are going to have a positive result. It makes sense.
0: Um, So you also mentioned that you know the kind of the, the core of this podcast is how startups can e- or any business can easily bro- blow through you know 100k plus a year with maybe little to show for their marketing efforts you know part of it is hiring junior people part of it is not knowing uh who how to set up your your the right marketing channel so adding to that above question if businesses don't have the right touch point strategy and as a result they're spending money on traffic that doesn't have a chance of even converting um, what are some other changes you suggest that maybe that'll help them increase their their ROI
1: Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the way I
0: see it effectively
1: is if you're targeting the wrong audience or you have the wrong message or you're targeting the wrong channel, right, or you're, you're, you're effectively targeting at the wrong time, right, they're, they're, not, mm-hmm. they're not ready to buy a proposition and they're not interested in it at the time, you're not going to get a result. Mm-hmm. So you need to have, you know, clear messaging with the right audience, the right channel, the right timing. And now if you can't find them at the right time, you need to capture their interests and nurture them, which is where a traditional of marketing strategy comes into play. So those are kind of the, the core foundations, There's a few variations and nuance in a few more um, categories in there in terms of understanding the alignment between messaging and the channel and the audience. But all of the problems and mistakes that I see are effectively a result of that. So for instance, I had a client the other day and the face, the marketing manager, she was running Facebook ads. They were spending like thirty to fifty k a month in Facebook ads. And what happened is, the SaaS business, and they took um They took the audience to a blog post, mm-hmm. but there was no call to action. So she, they ran it for three months, and then I said, um, "Okay, so what was your thinking behind this?" Well, we're we're just prospecting, and I said, "But how are they? Are you retargeting them?" No. So how are you taking them to the next stage? So they're just coming, consuming the content, and leaving. Yeah. So. When, you, when did you have in mind to start taking the action? She's like, oh, in three months' time. And I'm like, why? Well, because there's these stages of taking them from awareness to consideration to decision. And then I, I was like, wow. Yeah. She, 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 she kind of understood the conceptual principles, mm-hmm. but she just didn't apply. The, it's almost like I don't know. It's like um, in order to go running, you need to increase your speed, and if you increase your speed, you'll go, you'll cover more distance. So first, run out the door. You've never run before, and you try and run like a 20k sprint. You know, every day that week
0: because yeah. at, at
1: sprint speed, because you're like, I read that I need to be. And like, if I describe that to you, are like, that's crazy. Why would anyone do it? But marketing is specialized, it's difficult. So oh, you can see how she's reading all this content online, trying to figure out that she's making these foundational mistakes. Yeah. So all we did was we took them to a free trial landing page and we dropped the cost per lead from £450 to £18. There you go. Same same exact, same audience, same message, same targeting. Everything is the same. Just change the landing page, change the message from a blog post, an CTA to a free trial and look at the cost per lead. And then suddenly the board are like, wow, this is amazing. This guys a genius. And then it sounds really simple when I describe it. It's like, why do we need to hire a CMO to do this? And the answer is because they were struggling for three months to do it until I came in. And because of my experience, I was able to do that in like two days. Um, Yeah. The one that I took from zero to 500 leads a day took me two and a half months. So it's like, it's like it's very variable because there's um educational components, there's infrastructure components, and it's not always possible. I mean these are success stories. There's other businesses that, you know, I haven't got those results for. And the reason is because the truth is the product just isn't there. The product's not differentiated enough, it doesn't add enough meaningful value, and marketing does not solve the problem for what is to be honest, a, a product that, doesn't, that no one wants to buy. like You can't convince people to buy something they don't want. And the problem is that a, a lot of SaaS founders, they're building products and they're not doing enough qualitative or quantitative insight into their customers and, and getting to a meaningful product market fit. Or interestingly enough, they get really strong product market fit, but the TAM is very small. They then raise a lot of money, but then the TAM is so small, they now effectively have raised money to validate a whole new business in a whole new market with a whole new audience. And then it's like a worst case scenario, actually, you just raise five mil and you're like, oh, I don't have enough customers to tap into. I need to create a whole new product offering now. They should have done that before they raised the five mil, right? Um, exactly. In order to try and figure that out. So I've seen, I've been through that journey a few times as well.
0: <laughs> I imagine something for like that scenario where she was running ads to that that uh, the blog articles. I mean she could have retargeted them to a landing page within you know it could have converted within a week, right? She didn't have to wait three months. Um maybe I think that the the I think the thinking there was probably that the retargeting has to happen in stages where it could happen in a shortened time period, right? And so there
1: there were two issues there. The first issue is people misunderstand how many people click on a retargeting ad because the average amount of people click on a retargeting ad is only 5% of your audience. Mm-hmm. So if you're only going to get 5% of the whole audience to retarget them, you're missing out on 95%. That's why the landing page was superior. So that's the first issue. And then the second issue is that retargeting ad generally is usually not personalized enough or the value isn't high enough. Yeah, and People don't really think well enough about segmenting the audience with the right retargeting that's meaningful for them. They're just right. like, why don't we just offer them a free ebook that you know we just spent half a day writing? Mm-hmm. And the truth is, if you're not adding meaningful value to your co-prospects with every touch point, then you're not going to retain them and build a successful business.
0: Makes sense. Um, so I love the idea which you talk about using personalized videos. And your B2B outreach efforts, I believe. Um, Are you a fan of uh, email, outbound, LinkedIn, or do you use a combination of both when when you're doing that?
1: Yeah. So I think it's really, um, I think cold email has a quality that's different than LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is kind of a more, I think it's a longer sales cycle. And I think it's more of an authority-building sales cycle. Where I think that pay, you know, you're, you can build a fan base to broadcast on social and build a brand in a way that you can't do with cold email, right? So I don't think it's a really a like-for-like like per se. I think the problem is a lot of SaaS businesses they just need leads because they have revenue targets, so they just they they're kind of binary compare the two. But when you think of like, from my perspective, long-term A round, B round, C round, you want to really be building a, a remarkable brand, and it starts from day one. And for me. It's like if you have a uh, uh, it that comes down to the strategy. If you believe that page social and your audience are active on LinkedIn, that makes sense. Some SAS businesses, their audience are not living on LinkedIn. So that doesn't make sense as a strategy. And cold email is the only way to reach them. So really, it's about like where does your audience live? What do they engage with? And um, how saturated is that? Like if you're super commoditized and you're competing with a very large player who's very dominant there, that could be very hard, right? So it's really about finding that competitive angle. I think cold email can come through in a more superior way. Yeah. I think it's just, it just really varies on, once again, it's how do you use templates and personalize a scale and how smart and clever and how creative are you in doing that?
0: Mm. And can you share uh, your, what's your processes for generating those sales qualified leads, you know, A, at scale, and then also including that personalized video component to it? What is yeah, the, yeah. the message? Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah, how, so, how, how,
1: so, yeah so for the, um, the video, um, this experiment that we ran for a client, we get them a 4x increase on their, their sales qualified lead volume. Mm-hmm. And um, then what, uh, what I did is I took the sales guy and I got him to create personalized videos for each prospect. And that okay. cut through because each video was, was tailored to them. But like, these accounts were worth um, 20 to 30,000 a year. So for him to spend that much time where he wasn't getting cut through, it was very meaningful. It was a 4x increase. So did he, have, did he need to put more time and energy? Yes. But with a limited TAM, a total addressable market, you know, a very small amount of relevant clients that he can target, it was very critical for him to invest that energy and time. So, I, you know, and I think a lot of times now when people are sending out cold email, they think it's a volume game. But the problem is your touch points with your prospects are incredibly valuable because it's, your, it's when you're making an impression. It's like a first date. Mm-hmm. And it's like if someone just comes to the first day and takes out a piece of paper and narrates to you on the first day, like some sort of generic message about why you're wonderful, it's not really going to cut through as much as like you know, they're there and present with you and that experience and it's happening spontaneously. So obviously with cold email, you need to semi-engineer it and obviously you are, you need to do it at a scale to have meaningful results. But the problem is that what I see is it's too generic. And then you can't come through with the generic because everyone's being bombarded with cold emails all day. So it's really about the creative strategy and how you cut through the noise and target the audience more so than the channel specifically.
0: So just getting more uh, in the nitty gritty there, how long are these videos? What is the format you're sending it through? Are these just Loom videos? Um, what is the messaging that you suggest? You can use that example or just in general how you should structure it uh, yeah, for, sure. for the... Yeah.
1: Yeah, so, um, so the videos were recorded with a good quality camera with a proper lighting. And the we used, it um, was in a Loom video, I can't remember the name of it, I'll mention it later. And they hold up the sign and then it says, hello, first name, so semi-personalized. But mm-hmm. then when they click the video and it opens up, Mm -hmm. There's a logo of the company plus the business logo. So then it's like, okay, we went through the effort of personalizing for the logo. And then the message is effectively a very simple um, hook, which is I noticed something about your business. The second was... We've delivered a result to very similar businesses. So this is a result that we've delivered to these businesses. And you know, I'd love to have a conversation to chat and see if this is relevant to you. So just a a first initial, let's have a conversation. Now, the pros of this method is that it got more sales qualified leads. The the negative is that, you know, the open rate is relatively low still. You know, you have a low open rate and then a low response rate. And then in reality, out of every ten videos, you only got two emails back. So the amount of effort he needed to put in to get the responses overall strategically was, was, was positive, but energetically for him on a personal level was very demanding. Now, the key to resolving that is just do a bit every day. So rather than do four hours stints once a week, just do 30 minutes every day and get into this cadence of producing the personalized video. But yeah, it's still a strategy that they've used now for the last eight months and it's performing well for them.
0: Cool. Uh, what's your favorite tech stack? You mentioned a few for marketing tech, uh, for improving results, or maybe some recommendations for SaaS companies to start using today if they're not already using?
1: Yeah, I don't believe in the generic tech stack, There's so 7,100 um, solutions in the market. You know, I just did a, a collaboration with some of the web, and we enriched the whole marketing tech stack landscape. So mm-hmm. you know, it's a, actually a really cool project that I'm working on, um, it'd be great to share it to the audience and they can sign up to get early access. And what is very interesting looking at and these different subcategories of what's growing, what's shrinking in the marketing landscape. And what's very clear is there are clear winners and losers but saying that just because a, a company is growing or is winning doesn't mean that necessarily the right solution. And the problem is nowadays people are paying a premium for high-quality brands that do a great job of marketing, but the solution doesn't necessarily meet their needs. Sure. I'm not going to mention any specific brands now because I'm, you know, I work with. <laughs> but um, sometimes you can pay for a solution that's like five x cheaper, and it has 90% of the same features and functionality. I had this the other day of a client where they spent um, is about. £85,000 on a very well-known CRM and multiple licenses, and um, the sales team were reluctant to use it. They didn't upskill the sales team in using it. It was very complex. They didn't set it up properly. And then he had a marketing automation solution integrated with it, and they just sat there and used. There was a huge amount of money that was just wasted. Hmm. And um, he bought it. When I asked him, why do you buy it? He said, because it's best in class. I'm like, what's the point of having the best in class Porsche that no one's using, and this isn't like a Porsche that's like on the on the pavement that you can justify making my neighbors jealous. This is a Porsche that's in a garage in another country yeah, that yeah. you're <laughs> not using. Yeah, and then you're like, well, what was the point of spending that much money? Now proportion to his total marketing budget, that was a huge amount of money that he invested and burnt through to buy the wrong solution. Now. Because of that, I'm very reluctant to suggest mm-hmm. specific tech stacks, and that's, I think there's more. You know, it needs to really be tailored to what the business is doing where it's at. I, there are specific pieces of kit that I enjoy using, um, but they're quite varied. You know, I, lo- I like HubSpot for different reasons. I use AutoPilot for different uses, I use SharpSpring for different reasons. So I mean, I, I use different types of tools for different purposes. You know, if it's unbound or so Instapage for different reasons. So I mean, I don't have. Yeah, I mean, I. I have ones that I haven't used everything, obviously, but I have used a good, at least 100 to 150 different pieces of kit over the last 17 years.
0: Hmm. Sounds like that heavy, uh, expensive tool, sounds like something that starts with an S and ends with a force, is my yes, guess. <laughs> yes, yes, um, and, and, you know, it
1: is, a, it is an incredible, it is the best CRM in the market, sure. of the 220 CRMs. Yeah. But the question, the thing is, and if you had a sales team of 15 people and you had a strong cold outbound region and mm-hmm. marketing was resolved, and you had, like, the biggest problem, I think, is for um, a lot of the SaaS founders is they go very sales-heavy. Mm-hmm. And the reason is they believe sales guys can do prospecting and they can close. The reality is most salespeople are account executives. They're not actually SDR sales development reps. Right. So the problem is they're not focused on doing lead generation. And what happens is they shift all the money to sales and enough money for marketing, and the sales guys are expected to go generate leads, which they can't do because they don't have content and they don't know how to do it well. Mm-hmm. And then that's a, that's a big issue. And so I reckon that part of that is uh, the mentality with why they're choosing a very expensive piece of kit to support the sales team, but effectively they have too big a sales team, they're too thin on marketing, and part of this is because of it actually comes down to like product differentiation. It comes down to you know clarity over who the audience is. It comes down to you know the, the overall um, strategy or usually lack of strategy. And yes, there's quite a few different components, and you know, am I'm not I'm not being ambiguous on purpose. It's just that. You know, if we have so many businesses now, there is no specific way that things break. Like they all, Every business has its own resource and its own martech and its own technology and that creates all this variability that makes it very hard to predict and, and explain what the best solution is. And I think it's a problem. People are seeking generic solutions that are cheap for complex problems and it just doesn't work. It fails. And um, you need to find the right resource for the right problem. And that's where it's hard because a lot of the time people are selecting the wrong resources for the right problems and they don't deliver a result. And that's very frustrating.
0: Makes sense. I've heard that a couple times in my, my career. Um, thank you so much, Oren. Where can our audience get in touch with you and learn more about your services for their own business? Yeah, sure. So uh, it'd be great if you can share the link to the landing page on the MarTech study. I think that would be
1: very interesting. And sure. then if people want to reach out directly to have a chat and get my advice, you can just pay me a message on LinkedIn.
0: On LinkedIn? Okay, awesome. We'll put those links in the show notes. Thank you so much, Oren. I highly yeah, appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SAS industry. If you're a SAS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.